Hello, and welcome to the Nourish Circle podcast. I am Lori Schwartz-Mudio, your host. And today, we have an exciting guest for you, Amy Severson, who has actually been on the podcast before. Um, and you can always go check out that episode because it was really cool where we talked about Amy's work. But today, we're talking about Amy's book that she co-authored with Sumner Brooks called How to Raise an Intuitive Eater. I love this book. If you follow me on social media at all, you've seen me talk about it before. If you listened to our podcast in the fall where we spoke to Sumner, you know how important I feel this book is to be out in the world. And I'm just so excited to have Amy here to talk about it a little bit more. So I'm not going to sit here and give you too much of a preamble. I'm just going to say let's jump right in and listen to Amy. Hello, Amy. Welcome back to the Nourish Circle podcast. Hi, Laurie. Thanks for having me back. Um, Before we get started talking about your amazing, incredible, fantastic book, which I I can't even like say how important it is. um, I was wondering if you could give us a tiny little update, perhaps, in what you've been doing since we talked last. We talked at the beginning of the pandemic in May 2020, um, and I know since I knew you've become an author, but other than that, life has been different and wild for many people. So I just thought we'd do a little check-in to see what you're up to and how you've been doing. Yeah, it feels like that was so long ago. I know. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, it's just yesterday and also like 10 years ago, right? All the same time. Uh, the same time. Um, mostly the same, still stuck at home, still haven't actually been to my office other than it's overgrown male receptacle and... <laughs> months. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah, we are trucking along in here. Um, life-wise and um, business-wise, I guess. Uh, I've hired um, a couple dietitians. We have um, Katie Robinson is a dietitian working for me now and she's awesome. Um, I think I'm hiring somebody else soon too. And uh, so we have more space to see more mm-hmm. people, which is awesome. Um, it's exciting for me, but yeah. yeah, that's it. Very cool. And um, remind me again, what area of nutrition you work in mostly? Yeah, I work mostly with um, pretty much eating disorders. Um, I see all ages. I've seen people from age 10 to age 75. Um, and I, I mean, I have a preference. I like kind of college age kids because I live in a college town and they kind of do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really have a preference otherwise other than that like, small kind of yeah. love of that um but I work mainly with eating disorders I love to work with people who just really want to improve their relationship with food and improve their relationship with their body um I do work a lot with diabetes so I know um a lot about diabetes so I get a lot of diabetic clients as well um but that's definitely where I like to focus is that disorder eating are you finding in your part of the world um a big increase in eating disorder diagnosis through the pandemic I've been noticing oh, yeah. that here oh yeah it's a uh, it's market um everyone is like everyone is full um all the treatment centers are full with new cases people who've never done it before um people really just realizing I think a lot of stuff like all of our therapists are full around here too no matter yeah. what they treat uh which is fun um good for them I guess but challenging yeah. to try to find anyone to See yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's not a good time to need a therapist. Um, no, not at all. No. So 
yeah, definitely an increase. Definitely. Which sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, my teen group has really increased that 15 to 25 age range. Yeah. I saw something the other day about how there's a, there's like a, a running theory essentially that TikTok in particular is bringing back the like Tumblr era pro Anna stuff, which is going to bring oh. back a lot of this like glamorization of eating disorders and really hate it. <laughs> really oh, hate yeah. it. Yeah. I know this isn't a video, but we're both like slow nodding right now. Like, <laughs> oh crap is kind of the look on everybody's face. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I like watch this TikTok of someone t- pointing out all these things because I'm not on that side of TikTok very intentionally. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, my face was just falling the whole time I was watching it. I'm like, shit, we can't be back here again. I so I don't think that's helping these days. I haven't been able to wrap my head around TikTok to save my life. I, I don't I do don't... anything on TikTok, but watch other people. That's the only thing I do. I honestly, I can't even figure out the like a logarithm to get in the right space of stuff that doesn't scare me. Do you know what I mean? Like I was like, I tried it. I'm like, oh, oh no. I don't I don't know why I'm here. Like um, yeah. yeah. I got in like but, really straight white band TikTok for a while and I'm like, this is not where I want to be. I need to oh, no. <laughs> generally space I don't want to be in ever. Really. Yeah, like, this is really not pleasant for me. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. My that's the one thing my kids want. It's like they're like, no, you can't figure out TikTok. That means you are old now. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. But yeah, I tried. I think I pretend to get it. I don't know if I actually do or not. But Uh, but that is scary to see the rise of the pro Anna stuff again. That's Mm -hmm. I that was the beginning of my career um, when it was really taking off. And I remember being like, oh the rabbit holes people could go down and the, the glamorization, just like you said, that was, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm not looking forward to the way this is going to play out. I'm hoping that it kind of dies before it peaks. But yes, I, I, I don't know, but I've been finding just in most things in social media, the cycles really fast, mm-hmm. um, faster than it's been in other things. So I'm hopeful that this has the same kind of lifespan. Yeah. Tumblr lasted for a long time that all that, I feel yeah, like that it still kind of exists. Someone mentioned it to me recently and I was like, oh, it still is a thing. Um, oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah, no idea. Um, but it lasted forever, but newer trends tend to go pretty fast. So I'm yeah. hopeful. Hopeful. Yeah. yeah. But we also all are desperately needed like dopamine and serotonin hits by just watching little videos of yeah. animals doing funny things. So yeah, that's the other problem. <laughs> I know it's that uh, lack of connection and just trying to find something somewhere, right? That brings us joy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's the little squirrels running through people's yards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, so I have been saying for the last year that um, I think the next five, six years, the way they're going to play it with eating disorders is going to be really um, significant just because so many kids, teenagers have been home with parents, guardians, adults who haven't worked through their own shit uh, with regards to food and body. Um, And then along comes this amazing book that you wrote um, with Sumner Brooks. And Sumner was on the show in fall talking about it. Um, And so 
I profess then, and I will profess again how much I love, love, love this book, and I highly recommend it to anybody. There's links on anything that you follow me on where you can find it. Um, and we talked a little bit about that time about how the book came to be, but I'm also a little bit curious how, from your perspective, how the book came to be, how you felt about coming up with it. And I'll just let you talk a little bit about, you know, what the book entails from that way, if that's okay. Absolutely. Uh, I think it came to Sumner first, like Sumner kind of entered the realm of this first. She was kind of uh, invited to enter this realm first. Um, and she sought me out, asked for some help to do this. Um, we had um, connected a few months prior um, and, you know, done social media connections for months before that. Um, and I enthusiastically said yes. Um, I think I mentioned this the last time before there was a pandemic. Still don't recommend writing a book in the middle of a pandemic. A hard no. Um, but I honestly was, I think, a little bit hesitant to begin with because, like, I think I asked my husband at one point, like, am I going to be an uncool parent if I write a parenting book? Like, <laughs> is that going to firmly plant me in this? I'm no longer That's cool. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, you'll be a little less cool. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> So that was my hesitation of, oh, is this a cool thing to do? Or is this a, this is a bad choice, a bad parenting choice, um, bad cool mom choice. Um, but other than that, one little hesitation I had, uh, I knew how badly this book was needed because, you know, the only real intuitive eating for parents, for kids was like a chapter in the newer editions of the intuitive eating book, which is great and not enough. And um, I remember getting so many, even prior to this, so many parents coming in of like, and just asking like, what do I do? Like I have kids, how do I apply this to them? Because it doesn't one-to-one, -one, you know, uh, translate. And it, it just can't because kids aren't adults. Kids don't have the higher brain function to be able to do the same things that adults are doing. And, um, I, like this question was coming up so much and like I saw it in my friends I saw it and I remember struggling like heck I remember struggling and the only options available are the only options that are full books or full resources felt off to me mm -hmm. um even the good ones felt a little off yeah so having the chance to I don't know fix what I really like declare what it is that I believe and um what I think is helpful and good and healing uh was a really awesome opportunity and I kind of gladly jumped headfirst into that that's awesome I I love that you're like is this maybe not a cool parent uh, <laughs> and I and I can also see where some the really good books still kind of felt a little hmm Right. And the one thing that I really appreciated about um, the book both of you have written is that it gives you tools to work on yourself as well as the things you potentially could be doing with a child in your home. And, and they're giving equal weight. It's not do this to someone else, it's do this with you and around you. I don't know if that was intentional. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. We, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> I think we really wanted to lean away from this like straightforward. This is how to steps one, two, three. Um, and you just apply it to your kids. We wanted to really call out how important it is that you have to divest from your own fat phobia and your own, you know, kind of healthist beliefs and maybe like semi-orthorexic thinking and stuff, because not only does that kind of leech onto your kids as they grow and everyone around you, um, it also really shades and like colors the way that you can interact with your kids. Cause if we have, and I can't, personally, I can't blame anyone for this. Like we live in this world. Like we have, we all have internalized fat phobia. We all have internalized orthorexia, healthism, all of that. Um, and we're all trying our best, you know, we're, we're all trying our best. And a lot of parents who haven't really, and caregivers, adults in general, who haven't really looked at their own internalized fat phobia and all that in the way they carry it through the world are unintentionally putting it on their kids and putting this like kind of conditional love on their kids. And I mean, the vast majority of parents, sure that there are some parents who don't qualify in this, but the vast majority of people don't want to do that. Don't would probably be, or have been when we've mentioned it, just really shocked at the idea that it was conditional, that having this importance, this pressure on size and shape and weight and health and all this activity was conditional. Mm-hmm. And like noticing that calling it out was felt, well, it felt really important and like yeah. kind of the thing that we needed to do more than, Hey, your kids, this is how you get your kid to eat vegetables or it's okay if your kid eats candy. Like that's important too but not the same, right? not the goal. And that's a lot of what I, um, as a parent, have seen. You know, you can tell me what you have. Your kid have candy. And there wasn't a, why did you ever think they shouldn't in the first place conversation? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And and, and I agree. I think that you, you hit the nail on the head when you say, most parents don't want to be doing this, that they're doing. They just actually don't know any better. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said you gravitate to the college students um, in your work. So you probably have heard, and I have as well, clients say, I remember this time my parents said this, or I remember, and it, it might've been like a one-off thing, but just how much that got in. Yeah. And affected them moving forward. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think the book does a really good job of addressing this. Um, like I, I was telling you before we hit record that I have been request, like recommending it to people who have no children, have no intention of having children. And I think it's really good for anybody who's working on intuitive eating because it really gets into that. Um, that um, internalized piece. And was that really like the big kind of overarching idea angle that you wanted to make sure you were getting in on this in, in, because intuitive eating has been really co-opted, I believe in the last few years. And you did a really good job of bringing it back. I thought in this book, um, as opposed to the direction it seems to be going. And I just wonder if that was 
how hard was it to do that firstly? Uh, and have you had any feedback, I guess, on kind of that direction or anything? Yeah, we definitely noticed the way that, I mean, I definitely noticed, I think, I think Sumner agrees with us, the way that intuitive eating has absolutely been co-opted by diet culture. Like I don't follow, I don't follow a lot of hashtags because it uses my brain, but I don't spend a lot of time looking at like the intuitive eating hashtags and stuff on Instagram because they're full of weird crap. Um, yes, they are. <laughs> like not what I want to see. And I know there's a lot of people like the, the biggest people in the intuitive eating space are the fence straddlers, which oh, is yeah. great. Um, and like, I, they're a great gateway to the more radical stuff. Like, I don't think a lot of people would fully be on board with some of the more radical stuff that I preach, but they didn't nope, have a gateway totally. into it. Um, so I can appreciate that part of it. And that wasn't what we wanted to be. Like we're not, Sumner and I are firmly not fence straddlers. Oh no, you are <laughs> on the other side of the fence. Yeah. And like, did not want to, did not want to pander to fence straddling either. We wanted to make this accessible to people, whether or not they've done intuitive eating or have read the book or have even heard of it. We wanted to make sure that there was mm-hmm. that's why, one of the reasons why it's so long because we needed to, because it's a very long book. Um, we, we wanted to be able to introduce intuitive eating to everyone, yeah. not just assume you already knew what it was. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we weren't just like, I don't know, buying into some of those kind of really problematic tropes. Yep. Um, so yeah, it was really important for us to lean away from that as much as possible. So we talked about that a lot and yeah, that was really important to us. Did you find it any pushback from editors or reviewers? I don't really know the book process, but I know people read it before it goes out. (laughs) A lot of people read it. Um, we actually, no, we didn't have any, any issues at all. Um, to be fair, our agent, our, um, publisher's everyone have been involved in the intuitive eating book process as well. Um, they're all connected to mm-hmm. Evelyn and Elise as well. So I think they weren't surprised by what we were putting out there. Um, and our uh, proposal was also pretty explicit that we were doing this. Um, mm-hmm. So we got, from what I've heard from other people who've written books, like in this realm as well, I think we might've gotten lucky that we didn't have like a publisher or a, editor that was really trying to get us to change our messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't really ask us to change it at all, um, which That's is amazing. Awesome. Yeah. They even let us add an extra like 50,000 words because we underestimated how much we could write about <laughs> these topics. Um, I saying that too. <laughs> yeah, it was a, a big underestimation. Um, so we got, I guess, lucky, but there they, they was, was a pretty amazing process in that. And we also the people we picked to read it before went out were people who are firmly in this space as well. And yeah, um, we got a lot of good feedback about it, which was really nice. So I feel like you made the, you made, you wrote the book that people needed, not necessarily what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes sense, like this is the book I think that's needed. Um, and, and perhaps in the hands of another editor that wouldn't have happened. I am so happy that you were in safe hands that way. Yeah. Me as well. Yeah. It was, I, I think you're right. This is even by the name of it, you know, how to raise an intuitive eater, I think is a little, that's a little bit of a pander. I think of like, this is, this is simpler than it looks like, yeah. you know, 
it's a, um, it's more just straightforward intuitive eating and it, it's not, not that, but it's also deep and a lot of, inter- a lot of, a lot of internal work and a lot of unlearning a lot of stuff. And the pushback, the main pushback I saw in any of our communities prior to the release of the book was people who had read the name of it and assumed we were basically creating a really unnecessary book for kids for, for, you know, for kids who already like, cause we can approach the, the kids are already intuitive eaters. They are all kids are born intuitive eaters. Um, and we got some pushback. I saw this pushback. I think Sumner did as well that the kids are already intuitive eaters. Why do we need to create a book for them? Um, so this book isn't for kids. Like you're, no, you're, no. it's not for your kid at all. It's, it's for you. Yeah. Um, it's how to get out of your kids. Like if I could change the name, how to get out of your kid's way. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, It'll get yeah. it, just get out of your kid's way. How to do that. Yes. So true because you're right. Kids are born into eaters and we fuck them up in mm-hmm. our society. Right. Like that's a long and And you're right. Your book does that job of get out of the way. And I say this to people who have, and this is not about an eating thing, but anybody who has children who talks about struggling with anything, I'm like, we are not told to work on our own shit first. Right. And so we are figuring our stuff out and their stuff out all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And we are in a society where our, like, our bodies are talked about so much, particularly if you carried and delivered the child post-baby, that you are, it's like from the moment they come out, there's you potentially having some stuff going on with your body and food and mm-hmm. um and no one really talks about that like yeah. I really appreciate I loved the angle of this I appreciated it so much yeah. it's funny actually um I got a text message yesterday afternoon from a, a good friend and it was like I'm listening to a book while I'm driving right now have you heard it and then it's like how to raise an intuitive ear and then it goes I know you've read it <laughs> I'm like but it was like, you're voice texting over <laughs> right now while you're tra- like, what are you doing? Um, yes. Because they're like, this is amazing. I'm like, yes, yes, it is. Um, so I can tell you even random people driving around are listening to it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it's that angle. It's that I'm learning so much for me. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Comes out. Um, if you could um, magically just direct parents to, if you could only talk about one part, you know, the way you have to give talks about things and like, Oh, your topic's too big. You're only allowed to give one, mm-hmm. one part of this. What part would you really want to like focus in on direct parents to? I think the most important part of this book would probably be, I think it's part two, which is undoing your own stuff. Um, it's so important because if we can undo that, if we can lean into that, if we can, find and address and look at that internalized fat phobia and diet brain inside of us and the way we not only are putting it on ourselves, but putting it on us around us and you can do a lot of good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the first part of the book is really history and a lot of information. Um, mm-hmm. And then after that, we move into the keys and we move into um, some more information facts around, you know, nutrition and stuff. Um, which is important. Yeah. And if we can just, if, if we didn't have this world, if we didn't have to undo this stuff, mm-hmm. then it, 
it wouldn't be necessary. So undoing this stuff is, if I had to pick one, would be the most important thing to lean into, which is one of the reasons why this can work for everybody. Mm -hmm. Because we tried to make it accessible in that way of you don't have to be a parent to undo the generational harm that's kind of been put on you. Um, Because I'm, I don't really know anybody personally who doesn't have some sort of generational diet crap thrown on them. I'm surprised you survived the eighties and nineties to be honest. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I remember like the books my mom had on her bookshelf, like the one that Mm -hmm. was, you know, four inches thick that was full of the fat grams of every food that existed. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I remember sitting like the front seat of my grandmother's car and she had a little mini purse one of calories of food. You would get them at like the Zellers, which I guess is like the Canadian version of Walmart. Um, and they were, she just had tons of them sitting there and I would sit in the front of the car and I would read carrots equals this. <laughs> like mm-hmm. when I was learning to read. Like, yeah. Wild, wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And it, it's so true. Like, I think that's, and those little books have evolved into apps. Mm-hmm. Those are all terrible. Um, right. Yes, um, indeed. <laughs> but um, it's, it's so true. Like we have so much unlearning and undoing to do. Um, have you heard any like feedback or like parents say about, Oh my God, I've done terrible to my child, I can't change or fix this now. I haven't heard anyone say that in the context of the book because I think it's still new enough that we haven't mm-hmm. gotten that yet. Um, prior to the book, because this is all, none of this was stuff that we just made up exclusively for the book, the keys, I guess, to be specific, but this was still stuff that we worked on with parents before mm-hmm. this, with families before this. Um, heck, with, with people who needed to reparent their inner child. Um, was all, this is all part of my practice at least. Um, and I did hear that before. I think it's one of those ways that we carry all of us, um, carry guilt and shame and blame about the things that we've done wrong and how bad we are. And I hate it. Um, I, I hate that we carry that much shame all the time. And it, because it does feel like once you recognize that, oh my God, like this stuff really, like the way my, my, my mom, my caregiver, my aunt, whoever it was, did this fuck me up. Then like, oh shit, I'm doing the same thing to my kids mm-hmm. um, is I think a big space where shame can really flourish in there. Mm-hmm. And it's not an uncommon feeling at all. And um, it's also not helpful. And not true. Like, I don't think anyone is fucked up or beyond repair. Anyone. Just sometimes it takes a little more work and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. totally. I, I agree with all that. It, it's interesting. Uh, when you were saying that, I was even thinking back to just my own parenting stuff. And um, my oldest is uh, didn't grow according to whatever the doctor's like stop giving when she was to stop giving water we need to make sure there's calories and I had a moment of okay and I listened and then I was like what am I doing she's been really good at that you know in like her own knowing what she needs but even now as a 13 year old I can't get the kid 
like the kid doesn't drink water ever. It's not, it's the, right. And where's my other one? No one touched that child's eating behaviors whatsoever. And it's very much like, do you know what? I'm not hungry right now. I'm hungry five minutes before I walk at the door for school and they'll grab something that travels, right? Like, it's just, you see the difference. And I was like that tiny four months of being super hyper aware and hyperactive and taking things away that I instinctually knew I shouldn't have, but I was so scared of the pediatrician saying, you know, not growing, failure to thrive, da 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 da. But even 12 years later, still looking at it and going, huh, you actually aren't really good at trusting that still. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a lot of work and stuff and trying yeah. not to be because 13 and all the stuff that 13 year olds <laughs> comes with. <laughs> um, but, but it's interesting. It's like, I've had that guilt of, I should have, I knew better. I was already doing this like, right. And I think it's really hard to move past that. Yeah. It, it can feel really difficult to do that. I mean, same we, I don't think I really got really into intuitive eating and really like wanted to dive headfirst into this until my kid was two or three. Mm-hmm. And by that point, you know, we'd done the, she can't have carbs be her first food. She has to have green beans because she needs to like vegetables, you know, that did not mm-hmm. work for the record. Um, no. <laughs> not effective at all. Um, and there are still some, like, she's pretty intuitive now, but she, there are still some residual things where, you know, we'll have, those like moments of you know kid it's nine o'clock you need to go to bed because you have school in the morning and sorry you didn't get dessert tonight because you didn't ask for it until 905 and you're in bed um and I can tell like that rises up of like oh my god that means I'm not gonna get it and like I have this moment of oh fuck like I ruined it but also my kid needs to go to sleep um literally (laughs) happened the other day by the way cake at quarter after nine here <laughs> we need the cake <laughs> and my kid was her eyes were closing in bed the other day just like completely closing and she was like I am hungry I'm like I think you're trying to stay awake <laughs> and then she fell asleep <laughs> but those are those moments of oh my god like I fucked it I fucked up I ruined this kid and now I'm gonna have to spend the rest of my life undoing it but again it's just a matter of getting out of the way um and even reparenting that part of yourself that feels like you should feel shame for that yeah yeah you're right so much stuff we really did that parenting book not just a meeting book really yeah which is probably less cool but whatever (laughs) um well it's so it goes into so many things, right? Like we eat so many times a day. We have so many different interactions around food. We have so many different interactions around our child and food and our self and food. And, you know, the I'm sick of everything that I know how to make right now because I'm the only one that's been making food for two years or whatever, right? And it's just like, I don't care, eat whatever, right? And there's like, they get to see this ebb and flow of all of that kind of thing and getting out of their way, I think is... Mm-hmm. anything but I feel like it's a lot of our generation of parents are having a hard time getting out of the way with regards to everything not just necessarily food Mm -hmm. and so it feels very kind of counteractive to a lot of the stuff I've seen with parents Mm -hmm. yeah it's I think the helicopter parent thing was really coined for 
anyone who had kids in the like mid 2000 range, you know? And it was also considered, (laughs) I remember this, like, how do I not be a helicopter parent? Like this, the thing you didn't want to be. And also we had, there was so much more fear that started to come up around these, these ages. And, um, I don't know. We didn't, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to not be a helicopter parent, but not be I'm anxious as hell about everything. How am I not going to yep. be anxious as the hell about my kid? Um, exactly. Still am. It's great. And yep. but, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's great. But we didn't like want to be helicopter parents, but we kind of became the helicopter parents and that these kids still have to learn how to do those things. You know, it's all of it. Yeah. It's hard. It- it's funny, I've heard a new term. I don't know if it's new. I've just heard it recently. Maybe this is strictly Canadian, but the snowplow parent, uh, where you just clear the path. That sounds really Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, maybe this is a Canadian thing. I don't know. Um, but like, you just clear the path, right, for them to get through without having any obstacles in the way all the time. Um, and, and it's interesting because that's like, I also think when we, uh, when parents, what's the term I'm looking for? I don't want to say, you know, healthism gets in the way of eating. And I think that I'm, you're, I'm only going to introduce you to quote unquote healthy foods. And please everyone note that I'm quoting that. Um, and, and I'm only going to give you these things because this is what's going to keep you healthy. But like without giving you any obstacles of figuring out what you like on your own or, knowing how to trust yourself when you're eating something that this parent would decide that is not healthy, right? Like that whole, I see that happening a lot with eating as well. And, and I see your book address that. Yeah. too. Yeah. I think one thing I saw a lot, like in parent groups and stuff, when I was, um, you know, pregnant and had a newborn was a lot of, well, if you just don't introduce juice, then it'll never be a problem. You know, then they never, you never have to take them off of juice. I think it was even, with the bottle, like I remember, well, if you just don't introduce the bottle or you don't introduce the binky, then you never have to, to wean them off of it. Mm-hmm. And like, that's exhausting. Like, yeah, that's exhausting. Like, but what if your kid wants to have juice? Like, what if your kid wants a bottle? Like, what if you want your kid to have a bottle? Um, yeah. Like all these things that, yeah, I guess it would be easier for maybe at, for yeah. a bit. Um, like, I mean, my kid didn't take a bottle until she was a year because she was picky. Um, <laughs> not a choice for me. Um, but she found a bottle when she was a year old and then like exclusively drank out of a bottle after that, which was, then we had to wean her off of it at 18 months or whatever. Yeah. Um, which sucked. And also like, I kind of tried to control that and didn't like, yeah. it didn't work. Um, yeah. Like, and I don't know if there's, so many circumstances mm-hmm. we can't control. Just like I can't, I know that I can't protect her from fat phobia. I can't protect her from from bullying, from yeah. the uh, the health of shit that comes in schools and the weird nutrition. Oh my gosh! They, the wildly age inappropriate nutrition lessons they give in elementary school, mm-hmm. and I can't protect her from that. And I can help her be resilient enough to be her own person through those things. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking when we're talking. We can do all these things in our living spaces, in our homes that we have, but they go out into the world. And I do think that um, your book, yours, the seven people, 
world because of what they've been given at home. And is, do you think that that's something that we could um, hope to be in the future that we have more compassion for our bodies and ourselves, less um, fat phobia and bullying? I don't know, what would, what would you like to see from a generation of kids that get raised by parents who've read this? I would really hope to see kids who don't believe that their body size puts a condition on anyone's love or appreciation or support of them. Um, that body size is not relevant. You know, it's not, that is not a bad word. And it's also not a bad thing. Um, it's not something to be, to avoid, to pursue, but also not avoid. It's just a thing, you know? And the same with, I, I hope we can raise a generation of kids and parents who can, and teachers who can support kids in their, in their individual loves like we don't need to make kids be more active if they're not active kids um like if you have a kid who's a reader or an artist awesome that can be awesome too yeah we don't need to be like okay but like what sport are you gonna take um like my kid is she loves to read and draw she also has a crap ton of energy and likes to do very structured sports like swimming (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) but she she's that way it's not well there's not there's no swimming today so you don't you have to go move your body and you have to go for a walk or you have to do this thing for x amount of minutes it's what what feels good for you today yeah and kind of allowing that to grow and that independence and that that i don't know autonomy and belief that they are good that's what I would hope to see that these kids can be autonomous and they can believe that they are good. Oh my goodness. Could you imagine a generation of kids that thought they were good as they were and the amount of brain space they could use on other things? Our world. Like I can't even. Yeah. This group of like confident little like teenagers popping up like, hell yeah. We think Gen Z is doing some stuff. Imagine until this one. God, I know, right? Like, <laughs> it would be so wild. Like the takeover. I would yeah. gladly sit there and watch it. I'd be like, oh, oh you go. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> like that's, yeah, that, because there's just, I mean, the youngest client I've seen with an eating disorder is eight. Mm-hmm. So that's young to be thinking about changing yourself and, um, and, you know, the oldest one has 76. I think and so that's a long time yeah yep yes in space imagine um can get them there it's yeah. that's the dream eh yes yes I would be very happy to see that happen me too I would gladly let myself not have a job do you know what I mean like I think there'll always might be things but I could definitely be less busy because of this yes I think I told some I told I used to tell people all the time and I just realized it's never going to happen at least in the near future I would love to work myself out of a job love to 
hundred percent. Like that's, I say it all the time. I'm like, I'm good. If we can get to a point where I'm not needed. Yeah. I'll career change. I remember how to be a barista. I'll go back to that. It's fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I will find something. I will. I don't know. I don't know what I'll do, but I will yes. gladly do it. <laughs> <laughs> I will just take my mom Uber career to the yes. next level. <laughs> that's my, I feel like that's my third job. Um, Amy, I always find you to be fantastic. And I think you're wonderful. And I want to meet you in real life at some point. Yes, I <laughs> you're agree. my list of people I'd like to meet in real life. Um, <laughs> and that list has actually gotten smaller during the pandemic and not bigger, but you're still on. Feel that. <laughs> um, so before we um, go, I'd like to always just ask people, and I kind of stopped asking this during the last couple of years, but what's nourishing you right now? Yeah. What is nourishing me right now? Relaxing is nourishing me right now. Turning off at the end of the day, leaving my phone in another room. And we're currently watching um, Archive 81 on Netflix. Don't watch oh. it if you don't like scary stuff because I'm actually pretty freaked out. But Matt McGorry makes me very happy. I love Matt McGorry and he, yes, I saw this on his Instagram yes, or something. Yes. Yeah. And I yeah. love his I love his like proud recovery body. Like he's an amazing person and I would 100 percent support this work and it's amazing, but scary as shit. So like watch okay. out for that. But those like suck me into another world shows have been like feeding my soul lately. So this is one of them. And just hanging out with my husband and doing that has been Oh, that's so nice. It's so nice to hear somebody after two years of being close quarters yeah. to say you like to hang out with the person you've been in close quarters. To be fair, he, he works out of the house and has the last two years. So I, I think I'm maybe a little lucky in that regard. He's not, but he's. Uh, my partner's done the same. So I, I still like mine too. <laughs> <laughs> like this, not, not much has changed. I just don't go anywhere. <laughs> um, where can the listeners find you? Because I know you recently changed your Instagram name, which yeah, I love, I by the way. Yeah, so. thank you. Um, my my new Instagram handle is uh, it's the same page, same stuff. If you already followed me, you don't need to change it. But my new handle is Amy is talking, so it's A M E E is talking, and that's where I am. Sometimes I've been really bad at social media the past few years because I'm tired. Um, yes, and I'm trying to do it more, but I'm still tired, so I do it when I have space. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the permission I give myself now. Um, I'm on Twitter. I love that more random at Amy Severson. Um, my website for my business is prospernutritionwellness.com. And the website for the book is intuitive eating for kids. And that's the number four. Number four. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Put all that yeah. Again, I just think you're an awesome human and I am so happy this book is in the world. Um, and are you still doing virtual book tour stuff? Coming yes. Um, well, I'm assuming this podcast doesn't come out today, but we have one today. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We have one. Yeah. Um, there's one uh, next week, which is January some day. Feb- no, it's February. Next week is February. Next Monday is January 31st. Yes. So February 2nd, we have one. Um, as far as I know, knock on wood, we're doing an in-person one at a local bookstore here. It's Village Books. Um, and I, again, knock on wood, Sumner is coming up and we're going to talk the bookstore. Oh, that's um, so exciting. I hope it happens because I'm tired of talking to cameras all the time. So <laughs> that would be, yeah. But we are um, lots of podcasts coming up, lots of lots of stuff. Keep an eye out and more stuff is happening. So 
we're around. Awesome. And I love seeing all your stuff around. So thank you so much for joining us today. I am so happy we got to chat about your book. And again, everyone needs this book in their life. People need this book in your life. Give it to humans, leave it places where people will pick it up, whatever you can do, get this in the hands of as many people who have little humans around them and for themselves. So Amy, I just want to say thank you and you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. It's glad to see you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode.